We're on Hollywood Boulevard. Hello. Hello, everyone. How are things? Karen, how are you? I'm exhausted. How are you? The same. Okay. Okay. A little slap happy. Oh, before we get started, I just want to say, um, I went to the gym shortly before we started recording this evening. And I don't know if it's a sign, a good sign or a bad sign, but like, uh, my, uh, my like heart rate has been like really up. I've been like burning tons of calories and I feel like, so now I'm a little hyper. So if I'm, <laughs> if I'm talking hyper fast, feel free to ask me to slow down. I try to be mindful of my, of my tendency to really talk super fast. Um, but if it seems like I'm doing that here, uh, you can tell me to slow down. Okay. No. So wait, I have a question though. Mm-hmm. So are you feeling, is the heart rate elevation, is this all the time or do you mean just no. like right now? Just right now. Well, here's the thing. So it's not uh, just me going to the gym. Uh, yesterday and today we went, and I don't know if you're familiar with Orange Theory. Yes. Um, so those are some of the workouts we do during the week as well. And so you have a heart monitor and it's, you know, a lot of the workout is about trying to get you into a certain zone where your heart rate is up, but not super up. But yesterday and today, the workouts have been particularly demanding. And I've spent like the entire 60 minutes, whether it's been on treadmill or rowing machine on the floor with weights, like my heart rate has been super elevated in the red, close to like 100% a lot of the time. Um, Like I've burnt like uh, 150, uh, like whatever on my Fitbit, whatever, like when you burn in the higher zone, as opposed to like 40, 50, 60. Um, So I don't know if it's because the classes have just been harder. I think that might be why they they're pushing us a bit more. Um, they're doing something next week called hell week where they're like, the classes are going to be extra hard. So in my mind, I've told myself they are without telling us, getting us ready for the hell week classes by kind of upping the ante on these classes. Um, because I've been pretty good about going for months now and separately going and running at the gym on my own. And like, it's getting tougher for me to like keep my heart rate down. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's because these these classes have really been pushing me. Because I'm not saying I'm not weak. I'm just saying it's not possible that I'm weaker this week than, than I've been week. for the rest of my life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, it's, it's funny because because um, when I got back from New Orleans, I wasn't feeling great. I thought I might have been, you know, I thought I might have caught COVID, but I yeah. kept testing negative, you know. So I, was, I wasn't at the gym as much the week I came back. And then I went back to the gym the following week. And usually at the end of the workouts, I usually do like 30 minutes on a treadmill and I try and keep my heart rate at 120 mm-hmm. for 30 minutes. And usually, you know, go, go three miles per hour and the incline will go up and down to, to like keep your heart, like get your heart rate higher or lower, depending on what you need to do. And usually like, I'll be doing that. My incline will be like 11, 12, 13, like, because it takes a, a lot for my heart rate to hit 120. It really does. And I don't know what, I think it's probably because I've been not feeling well, but my heart rate goes straight to 120. Well, I thought it might've been that. Cause I've, I was sick earlier last month and it wasn't anything serious, but, um, but it was like, you know, like sore throat and stuffed up. And so I was like, maybe I'm just not 
officially over it. And it's just a little tougher, even though I'm literally going through all those motions. Uh, I don't know. I think for me, it was just the class has been tougher. I don't know. Maybe yeah. I'm just more exhausted and I need a break. I don't know. But yeah, I'm doing Hell Week. So so when we return in a couple weeks, you'll, uh, uh, you'll know more. Before we dive in on that note, let me just say, we're not going to be on Hollywood Boulevard next week because we're going to do a big all-out extra-length episode uh, commemorating the finale of our Melrose Place on back on back on the block. Uh, and the following week, uh, I have a conflict throughout that whole final week of October, so we're not going to be able to record. So I think the next Hollywood Boulevard will be the first week of November, which should give me plenty of time to have things. Uh, new to talk about and gives you guys plenty of times to uh, make any requests but um we're gonna leave you for a little bit and hopefully absence will make your hearts grow fonder i don't know if it doesn't don't tell us Uh, (laughs) we're just gonna pretend so we'll delude ourselves yeah so what's uh what's going on well, uh, tis the season for lots of theater. I have a few plays that I'd like to talk shows um, that I would like to talk about. And maybe we go in chronological slash alphabetical order. I can talk about 1776, uh, the musical revival that just opened a few days ago on Broadway. Is have you heard that, anything that bag about of it? chips? Because I kind of heard it was. Uh, it's really uh. not. it's like take the chips if you like it um you know the thing about the show is it's about 50 52 years old um and it's been revived once on broadway it's at the roundabout theater company now at their uh american airlines theater through january um and i believe they're the ones that also revived it in the late 90s um it is pretty much what you've heard or what you might think it's about the continental congress and and um how our founding fathers finally got to the signing of the declaration of independence and what um the conflicts were along the way and um you know it it works a the the songs are actually quite good and the book is really trenchant it's really really smartly written um and it actually had something to say to speak to its era because it was conceived and first mounted at the height of the vietnam war and so it spoke a lot to what was going on in real time in setting itself 200 years earlier in the past. And it very knowingly worked as a metaphor for, well, what is the point of all these soldiers suffering out there? And we're not, we're not losing sight of, of the waste of, of sending them out there, but politics is politics. And we're trying to figure something out in the name of, progress and and creating a better world and and sometimes that really requires sacrifice or compromise um that's all in the initial show what this production which started at art um in cambridge uh under the direction of jeffrey l page and diane paulus uh they have cast it um with women and, and with um it's like all 
all female, BIPOC, or non-binary. I guess you could call it gender expansive, like expanding the label beyond just uh, female gender. So traditionally you do it. It's all men playing all the men. Because guess what? All the founding fathers were men. Um, so now it's it's all women. But here's there's no... There's no point. It's a gimmick that calls a lot of attention to itself in the name of doing something very progressive that doesn't actually have a statement to make. Because what is the point? And what is this conceit supposed to add? The show already says so much. There's so much social and political and cultural commentary already baked into the fights that's happening between... Jefferson and Adams and Franklin and all of these other representatives of the 13 original colonies that you're not getting anything else because it's also, we're not looking at them as well. Now they're women. And does this cast anything in a new light? It's they're women playing men or they are, they are women or non-binary portrayers playing people that we still recognize as straight white men. As, as men. Right. Okay. So there's no, there's nothing to gain from this. Um, and it's sort of, it's neither here nor there, but one of the actresses, Elizabeth A. Davis, who plays Jefferson, is pregnant. I mean, I think they said she's due in January, but if you told me she was nine months right now, I'd believe it. Um, and it doesn't detract in any way, but it distracts. So if you're going to have these distractions, they should be purposeful. And they're not, you know, we've moved beyond like colorblind and other types of blind casting. And now we go for, well, color conscious and other types of conscious casting because it sends a message. But this is purposeless. Right. There's no intent communicated by the show, but it really wants to sort of beat its chest at the audience and and say, like, this is important, and we're really uh, making a political statement. They're not. And then, um, you know, the creative team takes a couple of the numbers that were standouts but subtle in the original and earlier pr- uh, productions, and they, like, stage them to the gills so that you really, like, in all caps, get it what they're going for. You know, there's one number, molasses to rum, which points out the hypocrisy that even the Northern colonies benefited from the slave trade. And they couldn't say that they don't. But, you know, when you give it a smaller uh, production, it, it, it can resonate. This clubs you over the head with, Mm -hmm. with over the top staging, um, utilizing its ensemble. Um, Another song, Mama Looks Sharp, which usually ends the first act, but here's one of the early songs in Act Two, um, which is a song that mentions the soldiers who are being lost so that they are not forgotten. Again, a similar overwrought, over-the-top kind of production. This show drowns in its lack of subtlety. Um, it It really does not work. And I will then talk about another show that makes some changes. Um that uh, I think go beyond being skin deep. But but the 1776 revival does not work. Uh, though some of the performances are quite fine, um, particularly Crystal Lucas Perry, uh, who is playing John Adams, and Petrina Murray, uh, who is Ben Franklin. You know, I think they are quite good. Crystal Lucas Perry is actually leaving to go do another 
pending Broadway show in another week or two, um, which is an odd thing too. You know, it, it's there's so much going on within this production that feels like it's trying to be a renegade, but it's like rebel without a cause renegadeism. Mm. So, so you know, I liked it. It was easy enough to enjoy. I was not looking at my watch. Um, I will say the sound is kind of terrible. Uh, oh, some of the okay. lyrics are ultimately unintelligible in these music oh, numbers. Um, so, so there's that. But if you're familiar with the show and you want to see it, uh, I would recommend it. Uh, I just don't think it's great. Okay. But then another show that does actually... Um, reinvent itself is a new revival of death of a salesman on broadway yes um, i kind of want to i, I want to see this and i don't know I, this is a big recommendation yeah. now this is i think the fifth overall revival of the show um i i would be remiss if i didn't say from the outset i think death of a salesman is the great American play of the 20th century. Um, I think there are other excellent plays and excellent playwrights out there, but I think this show is just so fundamental to all, all modern drama as we know it. I think it is the masterpiece. And I think this production, which was done first on the West End, um, really gets it right. And our our lead, Willie Loman, is an actor that you have some experience yes. with. Wendell Pierce. Uh, the excellent Wendell Pierce, um, who you may know best from TV. Um, excellent. The excellent Sharon D. Clark is his wife, Linda Lohman. Um, so the, the, traditionally, they are white Jews in the show. They are now, the Lomans are a black family of four, still in post-war New York. Um but it's not a it's not a race neutral show. They are clearly a black family, and still most, but not all of the other uh, characters that that are not related to them are white and played by white actors. Um, it 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 does put the show and some of the events in a a different light in, in a way that works and does not hit you over the head in any way, shape, or form. Um, but, but like in ways that feel believable for the time and that don't, that don't cheat and that don't take away the strength of what the show originally was. The show is so smart and, you know, every, every aspect, every, every scene, every line of dialogue, every motif throughout the show is just so brilliant that the production proves to be very like shows how how deft the play itself is and also how malleable it can be um but it's not doing crazy things like there no one well i was going to say no one is acting like a clown in this show to try and make it ridiculous but there is one exception to that okay so um the, a few there are a few appearances throughout the show of Willie Loman's late brother, and that is played by Andre De Shields, who comes in like Beetlejuice and is in like a completely different <laughs> show. Um, 
and, and those do distract and those do take me out of the show. Um, but overall, I think it is a really fine production. It's a long production. It's three hours and 10 minutes. Whoa. Um, the second act alone is about a hundred minutes. Uh, again, it's so finely wrought that you don't really feel the minutes go by, but they have added some musical moments in, in the action and they've given Andre Day Shields some musical moments as the brother that are really the only things that pull me out of the whole show. Okay. Um, uh, I should say as Biff and as Happy, the two sons, Chris Davis and McKinley Belcher third, I think are both excellent as well. I mean, I know it's early in the season and people talk about awards, blah, blah, blah. But um, Tony voters and other awards voters would be remiss not to remember all of the, the core four cast members of this show, as, as well as the revival itself. Uh, I thought, oh, can they really, can they pull this off? Because um, we've already had some excellent revivals with some excellent actors. And many people say that the 1999 revival that Brian Dennehy was in is kind of the the seminal one. Uh, I didn't see it. I've seen it on Showtime, but I never saw it live. I don't know if this is on par with that or not, but I do know that it's, it's uh, that it does the work justice and that um, it really should not be missed. Uh, The actors are sensational. Um, And I I put in a plug for anyone listening to, to vote for Wendell Pierce come season's end. So if by chance you find yourself in New York, I'm speaking to you, Karen and you, everyone else. Um, I would put this one high on your list. And I imagine there are probably ways to get deals on tickets as well. Yeah. And it's also, it's playing at one of the newer theaters, the Hudson, which is actually one of the most comfortable theaters too. Just putting that out there. That's good to know. So you think it's going to be easy to get tickets? Because when I started reading those reviews, I was like, I'm never going to get tickets. Yeah. I don't think this one's selling great. Even, even with good reviews. Yeah. Really? I am so surprised about that. Because Wendell sold the sh- the show that I, I mean, granted, we're talking 99 seat house, like it was, uh, yeah, we, yeah, like I think sold out that immediately. Makes a difference, yeah. You know? Um, I mean, that was, but it was also pre COVID, right? Yeah, and I think that's a big thing. I, and we were just talking about this, my fiance and I, and another friend of ours last night. Uh, look, the 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 tourist thing is not reliable right now. Yeah, that is true. There are no and tourists. we we can point to no better sign of that than Phantom of the Opera closing because that was its bread and butter. Right, right. So when the biggest show of all time finally has to call it quits, that's really a sign that the audiences are not there. Yeah. And even and even a slew. And actually, I think the Death of a Salesman reviews were mixed. A lot of them were like three and four stars out of five. Um, so they were not across the board raves. Um, I don't think either way. Uh, I don't think it's enough to 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 pack the house. Um, but I would encourage people to to fill that house as much as they could. This is a show worth seeing. Yeah. Well, that makes me feel good because when I finally do get to New York, I might actually be able to get a fucking ticket. I think you'd be able to. I really I do. Imagine that. You just have to give yourself three hours and 10 minutes to fill. Yeah, do you get two intermissions or do you only get one? It's one. It's one. There's one intermission like an hour 15, an hour 20 in, and uh, and then the second act is at like an hour 40 or so. Right. Got to, you know, make sure you pee, right? 
Well, yeah, I got to say the audience was so bad, like such misbehavior. So there was two rounds of late seating. Karen, do you know they serve buttered popcorn at the theater now? Like every theater? Well, at this one. So we had people, we had people oh, coming eating buttered popcorn. We had people slurping drinks with a straw. <laughs> like it was so embarrassing. <laughs> You're grateful to have audiences, but it's like at what cost? <laughs> oh, I don't know if I could do this. <laughs> I mean, but maybe they'll be better behaved uh, on the occasion you go. <laughs> I'm I'm so surprised that they're serving food and drinks like this. I really am. I mean, I guess, I mean, I guess concessions are big money makers, and the theaters are trying to rake it in. Yeah, I think that's it. Because I, I I just I just remember I remember a time when concessions weren't allowed. Yeah, that it's it's all upside down now. Everything is different now, and I mean, everything is more common than theater used to be i mean i know that ship that concessions ship sailed a long time ago in fact i think i remember going to see one of the final performances of titanic and there were like people on Mm. either side of us with their big gulps and i just was like wow um you know and it's okay it's one thing you have these plastic cups of wine or you have like i don't know nuts and gummy bears or whatever it is but popcorn buttered popcorn and like (laughs) Iced drinks with straws? Come on. I know. The butter pot. Like, that's like crunchy shit. Also, and it smells. Yeah, it does. <laughs> I don't, I can't believe the actors are like, whatever. Like, I feel just... like they just all have to throw their hands up and suck it up at this point. Because every audience is so bad. And, you know, we had the tip, like, cell phone conversations going on during the show. Not like cell phones going off, but people just, like, talking on their phone to someone in the audience. It all happens every show now. It's embarrassing. Unbelievable. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I mean, honestly, I have to wonder if this is also why people aren't going to the theater because it just can be such an unpleasant experience because other people ruin it. I mean, I for for me it feels ruined, but I feel like the people that are going are the ones to whom this appeals more. All right, because I I don't know, like I just feel like anytime I have to be like in a room with a whole lot of people, I just don't want to be. That's how I feel. And it has nothing to do with COVID. No, but I am, uh, because I have been far less social for the last two and a half years, I find when I'm presented with people who aren't acting great, I am quicker to like recoil from it. When before it was like, whatever. Now I find when I'm walking in like crowded streets or people keep shoving into me, it bothers me more than it did in the pre-pandemic days. Well, yeah, because I'm also like people. Because like, I'm I, just more over it. Yeah, and like it's like, do, have we learned nothing? You don't need to get that you know, close to me. You know, yeah. you know, we've learned nothing. <laughs> no, we we definitely have. You know, we nothing. know less than we did two, three years ago. I know you are absolutely right. Anyway, well, okay. I wish I wish I weren't, but yeah, yeah. Okay, so Death of a Salesman, two thumbs up. Everybody go yeah. see it. Yeah. Buy some yeah. tickets. Yeah. Support yeah. this cast and this show. Um, what else? And I, uh, I'm happy to plug an off-Broadway show at the Atlantic Theater Company called I'm Revolting, which is sort of, but not quite a, a, a double meaning. It's a play about, uh, patients in a skin cancer clinic in Manhattan. Um, 
And it's written, uh, the playwright is also an EMT. Her name is Gracie Gardner. And so she has a lot of actual healthcare, medical profession savvy. Um, And unfortunately, this is not getting it wrong, like Melrose plays. So she's doing the work. If you listen to our other podcasts, we were talking about people that weren't doing the work um, and not getting the details right. No, she gets a lot of the details right. And, you know, I have worked um, in healthcare and I've worked at a cancer center. So I know some of what she's saying to be right. I can just assume more of it that I'm unaware of is as well. Um, And it's an interesting show. And, you know, the kind of smaller shows that that I've loved in the past from playwrights like Annie Baker and Samuel Hunter, uh, we see four distinct patients um, coming into a a skin cancer center uh, all in the the span of one day. There are two doctors who treat them. Um, I I think the play tries to say different things and in the end doesn't have one big takeaway. Um, Because I think there's a lot to be said about how people look at skin cancer as a lesser cancer, a less threatening form of cancer. And yet, not only is it as potent and lethal as all kinds of cancer, but it's also one of the more visible kinds. You actually see the symptoms. Um, It's also, I think, sometimes an indictment of, you know, the process of well, what it is to have um, medical care in our country hmm. these days, but it like it doesn't sort of lean in enough to that statement. It doesn't dwell enough on the lives of the two doctor characters. Um, but there are a lot of nice moments um, when you know all of the actors who play the patients or play sh- patients' relatives are really good. Laura Easterman, Patrick Vale, Glenn Fitzgerald, Emily Cass McDonald particularly Peter Garrity and Alicia Pilgrim uh, make up the people in the waiting room. Um, they're all they're all doing really solid work. Um, one of the things that doesn't work for me are occasionally there are, are like little blips that are time jumps in the show. So that's like a doctor will come out to speak to one of the characters and then the next sentence out of their mouth is after they have met with them. Like we haven't seen them go into the, 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 the patient's room and then come out. They're just continuing to talk. And then suddenly we're made to be aware that time has gone by. Cause that sort of hits on something a bit more ethereal, a bit more surreal. And this works primarily as a realistic play with its feet on the ground. I, I don't think the play needs that. I think this play is a couple drafts shy of a truly ready for, live production um, status, but it's got great promise. And Gracie Gardner, the playwright, shows great promise. She's definitely a talent to watch. But overall, I really did like the show. Okay. So um, definitely Death of a Salesman, solid show. I'm Revolting, which has a couple more weeks at the Atlantic. Um, good if you if you can make it. And um, in 1776, if you want to, but it's not really doing anything that I think it's doing. And then before we go, I do just want to say, because it's breaking news for us, a quick tribute to the late Angela Lansbury, like one of the great talents of all time. I already had Um, to do a sort of somewhat obitty thing. Oh, oh, did you really? Yeah. Uh, And I will maybe write something obitty. If I do, um, I will promote it on our our Facebook page back on the block pod. Um, I don't think there's anything anyone can say that isn't already understood about her, but um, just one of the true uh, phenoms of the last century. 
one of the great uh, dramatic and musical interpreters and um, five Tonys. Uh, and she did finally get an honorary Oscar a couple of years ago mm-hmm. um, and gave a really lovely speech, even though they didn't, it wasn't on the telecast. It was a private ceremony. And she was nominated for an Emmy every single year that Murder, for she, Murder wrote she Wrote. For Murder She Wrote. 12 consecutive 12 nominations, nominations for Murder She Wrote. Zero. None. I mean, and never even got an honorary Emmy. It's ridiculous. I think she had 16 total career Emmy nominations, never won. Unbelievable. I, I just couldn't believe that. When My was... fiance is trying to do sign language. What is it? What's the number? 21? You can talk. 18. Oh, it's 18. Okay. 18 total Emmy nominations, it was no wins. Total three, three, uh, 18 total Emmy nominations, no wins. 12 nominations for each all the seasons of Murder, She Wrote. And she did win a Globe for Murder, She Wrote one year too. Yeah, I, th- I thought um, she won two Globes, but maybe I'm wrong. She may have won two. It's possible. I, I know she at least had won a globe for 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 uh, um, Jessica Fletcher. By the way, when the last time we went home, I found out that my mom and sister uh, have recorded all of the Murder She Wrote episodes that are currently in syndication and are going through all of them. Um, I did not realize how many episodes took place away from Cabot Cove. She was traveling a lot, and everywhere she, she went, people were also dying. I thought. I thought she was in Cabot Cove the whole time. No, because we watched like eight episodes and she was in Cabot Cove, maybe none of them. Oh my God. Just saying something I did not realize. And I'm, but like I said, like no words can really do her justice, but uh, like, like a transcendent talent, the likes of which we just do not see and perhaps will not see anymore. Amazing. Amazing. Yeah. She was 17 when she got gaslight. Yeah. Yeah, her first nomination. Yeah, it was her first film. Yeah, isn't that wild? It's yeah, every everything about her is impressive, and how she reinvented herself in the middle of her career, and then became one of the most dominant forces on the Broadway stage, and one of the great interpreters of for both like Sondheim and Mm -hmm. Jerry Herman. Um, Yeah, and one of my personal favorite shows of all time and i think sondheim's best is sweeney todd and mm-hmm. she and then carrie are just nothing short of a miracle on that and so that's being revived this year um and just did saying. you also hear that personal story about why she moved her family to ireland uh i must have read it in the past but you must this must be fresh in your mind so i don't yeah about call. um so the reason why she kind of left behind her film career was that um living in hollywood and apparently her son was it drugs a drug problem yes okay yeah oh but at the same time her daughter befriended a drifter in los angeles and he was picking her up from school and having and then kind of convincing her to steal money and food from her family to give to him and that drifter turned out mm. to be Charles Manson. Do you know how many Charles Manson stories there are for all of the people that were living in L.A. during that time? Not to not to cut this down, but like there are so many major Hollywood connections to Charles Manson. It's kind of wild. I had it's no crazy because, yeah, I knew exactly once you started saying that. I was like, yeah, it was Charles Manson. I did not know. Um, but, yeah, it was uh, it was pretty. Um, 
I had no idea about that. I, I actually did not know about that sort of career break. And then, and then when she came back to, to work, she she worked primarily on Broadway. Yeah. That, that yep. was and then short. got to reinvent herself again through television in yeah. her 60s. Yep. Which is pretty amazing. So yeah, 96. And, yeah. And then I just read like another nugget about how she was always hiring um, older actors uh, in the guest starring roles to yeah. give them work yeah. so that they yeah. could keep their health insurance through SAG. I was like, wow, that's amazingly kind and also really well, like, savvy. The, that's, and and yeah. very sad. It's a sad commentary. Well, yeah, because, I mean, you know, people talk about how, like, the great one, Betty Davis, even her career, all she could get was, like, B horror movies in her 50s, 60s, and 70s. So all the people at levels beneath that really struggled, like, once Hollywood dropped them and they aged out of yeah, when they aged the out, studio right? system. Yeah. 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 Um, so, yeah, she did all of that. And she really, yeah, I think she really got to exercise a lot of good as a producer behind the scenes in her in her later decades too yeah yeah um and almost exactly six years ago to the day sometime in october of 2016 i got to see her live again because i saw the film society of lincoln center did an anniversary um showing of beauty and the beast and then she came out afterward and sang the song live at like 90 years old Wow. How was her voice? The same. Really? Yeah. Incredible. And I saw her, she did a tour of Blythe Spirit around the country in like 2014, 15, 16, uh, a few years after she had won her fifth Tony. Uh, So she was around 89, 90, 91 doing that. And like still really with it, still really able to keep up with, and like the projection and even her posture was perfect. Oh, technical difficulties. So my computer just did an update. I just want to finish the thought. I don't know exactly where it cut off, but I was just saying she, uh, Angela Lansbury was a pro to the end. And with that, I think maybe we should just uh, call it a night. Yeah, the world is like, just shut up already. The world is literally telling me to shut up. <laughs> the world is like, just maybe I should listen. Bad. <laughs> All right. Well, we'll be back. So we'll be on I shall. Hollywood. Well, it's going to take a couple of weeks. Yep. So let's make it an action-packed return in a couple weeks. Let us know what you guys want us to talk about, what you want us to see, read, listen to, watch, whatever the most. Okay. I'm going All right. Bad. Be good and have a happy Halloween. Yeah. Bye. All right. Bye.